XY Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. Welcome to the Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting advice and guidance in your ear. Zweig Group's team of experts have spent more than three decades elevating the industry by helping AEP and environmental consulting firms thrive. And these podcasts deliver invaluable management, industry, client, marketing, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter Podcasts, elevating the design industry one episode at a time. How's everybody doing on this fine, crisp, Frisco morning? Welcome fall. And I know everybody in Texas is really great to hear. It's really great to hear that. So good morning. We had a great day yesterday at M&A Next. Now it's time to board our Airbus A380 and elevate our experience to the clouds. Welcome to Frisco, Texas, or if you're a Texan, you say the great state of Texas. I'm thrilled to welcome you to the 23rd annual Elevate AEC Conference and Awards Gala. We've got a Texas-sized experience in store for you this year at this amazing venue. This newly opened Omni Resort is part of a 660-acre development that includes the new headquarters of the Professional Golf Association, multiple golf courses, and a slew of amenities. The development is expected to create a $2.5 billion economic impact for North Texas over the next 20 years. And it serves as a great venue to inspire us as we kick things off and focus on value creation. Today, we've assembled an impressive group of the highest performing firms and finest AEC firms in North America. At a time when our industry and many of your firms, probably you yourself, are busier than ever, taking time to attend an event like Elevate is important. And for that, I wanna thank you for being here. Our focus to have Elevate be a platform to drive impact and value creation provides a bigger central theme of this year's conference, entrepreneurship. Now, the term entrepreneur is overused in today's LinkedIn world, but the term itself and its basic and simple definition is important. One who generates economic value through the creation and development of business. This is an important role in our profession and represents the attendees of this conference. And what better place to focus on entrepreneurship than Frisco, Texas, a city that has approached economic development in an entrepreneurial way, focused on growth and excellence. To give a little background, the farming community of Frisco reached a population of 5,000, finally making it large enough after 85 years of existence to enact its own laws, and that was in 1987. This once tiny town on the northern prairie now has over 230,000 residents. The volume of development here is mind-boggling. I'm sure you saw it as you came in. It also includes the recently announced $10 billion fields development, which is a 2,500 acre mixed-use projects slated for multi-million dollar homes, multi-family towers, offices, retail, and industrial facilities. We can see why so many AEC firms are clamoring to get into Texas. For over 25 years, I've witnessed Frisco and its explosive yet intentional growth. City is a great success story of public-private initiatives that has led to massive commercial development, stadium homes for major and minor league teams, and more retail per capita than any other city in Texas. I actually recall my first year at Zwei Group 10 years ago in 2013 when we attended the Inc. 500 conference as an award winner in Washington, D.C. The presenting sponsor of the Inc. 500 conference was Frisco, Texas. 
A city. Not a fast-growing company, not a big national brand, but a city. Now that is entrepreneurship. Since then, Frisco has been one of the fastest-growing cities in the U.S. and attracting major corporations from around the world, along with the most extraordinary attractions and development, including the one we are enjoying this week. Five years ago, here in this Metroplex, we launched our mission to elevate the industry, which I could describe as a recruiting and retention revolution with an entrepreneurial engine. Today, not far away from that launching pad at the Fairmont Hotel in 2018, we celebrate that milestone here in Frisco, Texas, a place that represents an extraordinary example of a city thinking like an entrepreneurial business. So while we're on the subject of smaller cities driving growth and becoming bigger cities through entrepreneurship, I thought I'd share a story from my hometown, which serves as the Zweig Group headquarters now. Photo on the screen is the east side of the Fayetteville, Arkansas Square in 1958. That drugstore is the Kleinan's Fayetteville drug, which multiple generations of my family ran for over 60 years. Next door is Sam Walton's historic five and dime. While we marvel at the quality of digital photography today, this photo was taken by an old-fashioned camera, actually by my grandfather, with Kodak film that gives this incredible resolution that allows us to zoom in even further and see the grand opening signs on the windows. What a moment in history. Sam Walton's entrepreneurial expansion of his second five and dime, which was the beginning of Walmart and now the largest company in the world, number one on the Fortune 500 list. Sam Walton, credited as one of the greatest entrepreneurs of all time, was 44 years old when he started Walmart, reinforcing that there is much opportunity in being entrepreneurial throughout your career. Now, the impact that the Walton legacy has had on Northwest Arkansas is profound, with massive investments in the community, the arts, infrastructure, and quality of life. So while many of us in this room are not on a path to become Fortune One, the value creation that we are able to drive today in this industry is unprecedented and allows us to make our own remarkable impact. Every dollar of growth in revenue, every percent better in a key performance metric, every award you win, every new job you create, every raise you give and bonus you are able to pay, all of those things are generating tremendous values in the families of your employees and beyond in the communities that you serve. That is the essence of Elevate the Industry and this event. Maximizing value creation so that we can invest in our people, so that they can invest in our communities and impact the world. It's also entrepreneurship. When we launched our evolved mission in Dallas five years ago, I used John F. Kennedy's quote, a rising tide lifts all ships, to paint a picture of what we're trying to do. Working together to show the world the incredible impact this profession has on every human and that you can make an amazing living doing this important work. Since 2018, the Elevate AEC Conference and Awards Gala has been the platform for people to network, learn, and celebrate, all important pillars of this event and the mission. This year, I'm excited to be here with all of you at our largest in-person gathering of industry leaders, the Elevate Her cohorts, and award-winning firms to advance the Elevate the Industry mission. Over the next two days, we'll recognize and celebrate marketing excellence, hot firms, best firms to work for, courage and leadership, top new ventures, and rising stars, our excellence and client experience winners, and the coveted trifecta winners. Let's give our award winners a round of applause. We have two award ceremonies today. Our Rising Stars and Top New Venture Awards will be conferred during our awards luncheon today at noon in this ballroom, and then our evening black tie gala begins with our red carpet reception sponsored by Open Asset at 6 p.m. outside this ballroom in the foyer, and the dinner and the awards gala will follow in here at 7 p.m. Beyond the celebrations, our awards program and, and uh, conference includes some incredible keynotes from inspiring entrepreneurs, including Harry Clark, Valanle, Williams, Ollie, and Bill McConnell. We've got some great panel discussions, some breakouts featuring some of the greatest leaders and the most decorated and highest performing firms in North America. Tomorrow, a number of our Elevate Her cohorts will be presenting on the main stage in a pitch style contest where you'll be able to vote for the most scalable and implementable business idea to drive recruiting and retention. I'm really excited about that. 
This year, we're fortunate to have a record number of sponsors. You've heard them recognized in the opening video. Please help me thank all of our sponsors with a round of applause. Be sure to spend some time with them in the exhibit hall and also check out their websites. So to kick us off today, we're going to take both a micro and macro view of the industry. Uh, to start, we're going to focus on our industry data and award winner data that is hot off the press. Then Bill McConnell is going to zoom us out looking at the overall industry and economy. So to begin, I'm going to provide an overview of 2023 focusing on our industry research and award winner data. The data Zwei Group collects on the industry includes over 3 million annual data points, providing powerful benchmarking for firms. But also it provides thousands of business indicators that can help us understand where our firms stack up in the industry and where the opportunities are to drive better performance. So in 2023, the industry performance metrics are as rich as the multi-billion dollar developments in Frisco. And the industry overall is resilient, with some areas red hot. Last year, we started by presenting a key industry metric that shattered previous records. Well, this year, we've finally seen a slight cool down, and that's pre-tax, pre-bonus profit on net service revenue came down to 15.5% from the all-time record of 16% last year, way up there in the clouds. Rapidly rising costs, along with increasing labor expenses, have contributed in part to this shift. Uh, the debt-to-equity ratio, also known as debt-to-worth, measures the long-term ability of a firm to meet its financial obligations. Uh, in 2022, we never saw, uh, saw never seen before lows, uh, which is where you want to be. But actually, this year, we're back up, not surprisingly. We see firms uh, trend up as the debt-to-equity ratio uh, increase, and that was something that was forecasted for 2023. Uh, despite some cooling in various industry benchmarks, backlog in the industry, that is work that is under contract not yet performed, is up to 9.1 months. So the strong backlog is obviously good news, but also another indicator we do have a lot of work to do, and we've got to have the people to do it without burning them out. So for those uh, unsure how to sell a growth plan in their firm when they are busy, this graphic makes a strong case. Time to fill a job is quicker in fast growth firms, meaning growing firms are able to attract talent better and quicker, and we see that in our business uh, for sure. Fast growth firms are defined as firms that have grown 20% or more per year for the past three or more years. It's really important that all of us as leaders understand that we must communicate why grow to our people. Because the default perception of growth for the average employee can mean more projects and more pressure, right? Um, it's really critical that they understand that growth provides the resources to work out of our reliance on the same resources and overwork situation. This chart proves that we can secure the resources we need to solve problems quicker when we are in a growth mode. So some of the most successful firms that we see across our awards program have highly developed internal communications teams who are focused on getting the right information to staff so they are empowered to make better decisions to advance the business and to drive a best firm to work for culture. You'll see this as we present some other trending data from our awards program. So let's get to some of the data from our 2023 award winners. We're gonna start with our hot firm list. This is the top 100 fastest growing firms in the AEC industry. Uh, the hot firm equation adds growth in dollars and growth by percent over the past three years to create a level playing field for firms of all sizes. This year, we saw a huge surge in revenue growth after a slight dip in 2020. Uh, this chart shows the three-year average revenue growth over the past five years of the hot firm list. The other side of the equation, the percentage growth of the list also came in at a record 91% this year. So for comparison purposes, we show the top 10 hot firms and the average growth of the industry so you can see the dramatic differences. This year we saw a continued trend of more of the hot firms using acquisitions as part of their growth strategy as 54 of the 100 acquired a firm in the last three years. But most notably though, for the first time in history, all 10 of the top 10 hot firms used M&A as a growth strategy. Shifting to our Marketing Excellence Award winners, year after year, this group of high-performing firms proves that marketing 
is a key strategic investment that drives financial performance, something our prestigious group of winners in 2023 prove, showing an impressive growth over their non-winner peers. In this first bar chart, we can see that 50% of the Marketing Excellence Award winners, or MEA winners, were fast growth compared to 22% of all other firms. This chart shows that firms that invest in award-winning marketing are over two times more likely to be fast growth firms. As we look at this next metric, I think it's important to point out that even today, many firms in this industry still view marketing as an expense instead of a key business investment, but not the firms that win the MEA award. They see and realize the return on investment. As we can see here, marketing drives profit, and the results were even higher this year as 90% of our MEA winners were highly profitable. That means they maintained a 15% or higher profit margin for three or more years versus 54% for all other firms. The takeaway here is that marketing drives revenue, growth, and profits, so invest especially now. Moving on to the final and largest data set of our three awards programs, best firms to work for. This is the largest employee experience survey in the AEC industry with uh, 2023 posting a record-breaking 18,000 responses and 2.8 million data points alone. The theme of 2023 is that we are finally back to normal. Uh, and that means that after a significant depression in employee sentiment in 2020 due to COVID, followed by a euphoric surge in 2021 as things were opening back up, we have finally returned to what I'd say is a normal baseline to compare and benchmark in 2023, back to where we were pre-COVID. Now, let's take a look at some of the interesting trends. Interesting trends in 2023 are related to employee satisfaction around parental leave and bonuses, uh, both of which were on a slide previously. So we've seen parental leave improve, and I would say at least in part to remote work policies are better able to naturally provide more time for parent-baby bonding in the home. Uh, the improving bonus trend should be comforting at at least one positive data point in what has become a challenging environment when it comes to compensation strategy. Now, the areas trending down are also quite intriguing this year, as these are typically some of the highest rated items. When employees were asked about their confidence in management to guide the firm to future success, that confidence took a nosedive this year, along with their level of trust in management. So with those being historically high, this might in indicate that there's increasing anxiety around stability and future growth, and that's understandable. Uh, if you ever watch the news. Uh, but this could also be preventable as we've seen communication scores drop pretty significantly over the last several years. So as communication within the firm and from firm management decreases, anxiety around and paranoia around performance tends to increase. So it could be preventable. Looking at the trend of challenging work decreasing, this might surprise many of you as your firms are so busy. But there are many synonyms for challenging, and there's a significant, significant difference in the context of stimulating versus demanding. And I would submit that an increase on the demanding side erodes the stimulating side. So challenging is defined by the current generation as thought-provoking, interesting, inspiring. So a decrease here is likely driven by higher workload and pressure to get jobs out the door which decreases the ability to be maybe creative in design, visit job sites, learn more about the broader implications of the project. Uh, but another aspect of this could be those work from home policies, right? So while that flexibility feels good for some and helps in recruiting, less office time can mean less on the job training, cultural development, and natural mentoring that can result from being in the same space all week or most of the week. Regardless of how this may be affecting your firm, per the feedback from the overall sample set, it does feel like a grind for many staff, and that increases the chances of burnout, a topic that continues to be more troubling. And in fact, in this survey, one in 10 employees felt that their workload was too much and that they were at risk of burnout. So that's 10%. Looking at training and development, which is the highest ranked benefits by employees of best firms to work for, this bar chart shows the areas where they want more training. Project management, leadership, people management, followed by communication and business development. 
So if you're wondering where the high return on training topics is, look at this chart for insights. This chart was fairly consistent with 2022, uh, with the exceptions of notable increases in the interest in getting more training in project management and communication. Looking at where the greatest gaps are between what employees want and how they rate their company's actual performance on those items, the areas of open, effective communication, excellent benefits, and career growth and advancement had the greatest gaps. And speaking of performance, one of my favorite tables, the case for employee investment, the case for investment employee experience is clear when you look at this sample of key performance metrics of average firms and the best firms to work for. You can see impressive margins in many of these financial benchmarks. Firms that invest in the employee experience are more efficient, they grow faster, and they make more money to highlight just a few of the benefits. So zooming out from the hard data from award winners, here are a few of the recent trends we're seeing from the data and the stories of the AEC industry. Last year, we presented some of the challenges firms were having with designing a remote work policy. Now we have some research that shows that time in the office trends with the size of firms. May not be surprising, but larger firms have fewer people in the office, fewer days of the week. A recent study showed that, over, that firms over 1,000 people average 3.2 days in the office compared to smaller firms where the average is just over 3.6 days. Also, interestingly, professional services leads all other entry, all under other industries in the lowest number of days in the office. There are challenges on both sides of this equation, obviously, with culture probably being the biggest factor. In the M&A space, more firms are using acquisitions to fuel growth, as we saw from the hot firm data. But of the deal volume so far in 2023, 37% was with a PE group or a private equity-backed platform company. Uh, this is significantly higher than in 2022 when it was only 16%. Also, states with the most transactions, which are Florida, California, Pennsylvania, and of course, Texas, are also the states that are set to receive the largest amounts of funding from the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. So private equity is definitely following the money. The tax change that was put into law on January 1st of 2022, which is a hot topic for many firms in here, this requires businesses to capitalize and then amortize their R&D expenses over a five-year period, has been a huge issue for many AEC firms. Despite the difficulty in the transition for some firms, the credit itself is still a good strategy for firms to employ. Still, there are efforts to reverse the change, with the soonest being in a year-end package, probably. Congressional supporters could try to attach a tax extender package with this included onto a must-pass legislative vehicle, such as the annual appropriations bills that keep the government operating or the National Defense Authorization Act, which has been passed every year for over 60 years. So some good news there. Our friends at CTA are on top of this, so connect with Jordan or Dawson to learn more. High-performing AEC firms and private equity are leading the way in soaring investment in technology, including apps and AI. Investment in AEC tech was up 80% during the three-year three period ending in 2022. Much of this is uh, toward applications that can reduce the strain on workloads, which are at historic highs. So speaking of AI, Investing in AI-capable technology will be a must for AC firms who want to compete for talent. For example, AI-embedded applicant tracking systems, or ATSs, are one of the critical tools being optimized right now for highly efficient candidate identification and delivery. Impressively, these AI-driven platforms can forensically mine, validate, and screen a pool of five to six highly relevant applicants out of thousands of applications in seconds. So this game-changing tech will greatly impact recruitment accuracy, cost, and timetables, reducing the average initial candidate development life cycle from seven days down to a few hours. Wow. On the retention side of the equation, AI can also completely append the soft cost to onboard a new employee. So it will require a fraction of the time that it does today. AI will make it much easier for new team members to find the resources and knowledge they need 
and impact the bottom line and contribute to the value of the company more quickly. Five different studies showed up to a 50% reduction in the time to onboard an employee using AI. Now, onboarding is a critical process in getting an employee integrated and is a process that is suffering in many of our firms today because we are so busy. So this could be a great solution. Now, I do want to say something about AI. Certainly a lot of talking heads jumping on the AI bandwagon right now. Uh, we at Zwei Group are working hard to properly research and find the innovative yet practical uses of this emerging technology. And while AI will not likely save the world nor destroy it, uh, it does have significant implications for our industry as our workloads are at historic highs with forecasts showing demand for our services far outpacing our workforce capabilities way into the future, okay? So AI can help us replace or supplement processes that can save valuable time, enabling a technical professional or design professional to focus on what he or she went to school for, right? Uh, that could be one of the most powerful developments in this industry since the development of CAD. So we are choosing our AI expert partners carefully, like Kristen Kaltz and Phil Bernstein, and we recommend you do the same. Speaking of those challenges in growing staff to do the work in our valuation area, growth projections continue to be constrained by the challenges in growing full-time employees or FTE counts, with some firms intentionally putting the brakes on growth to focus on current employees and clients. Now, that may sound like a reasonable strategy, but it's not a good solution in the broader context of running a business. Not driving growth will suppress values and margin, because ultimately, growth in revenue is the most important indicator in firm valuation. So speaking of strategies and tactics to run the business better, we are seeing a growing interest in a newer role in the C-suites of AEC firms, the chief strategy officer or CSO position. Part of this is driven by the increasing complexity and pace of change in the modern AEC business environment. It's also in recognition of the importance of strategy and having someone laser focused on executing a strategic plan. We are also seeing this role as being a great facilitator for leadership succession, as it can be a great role for incoming or outgoing CEOs. It's why we are hosting our first and only in the AEC Industry CSO Roundtable next month in Fayetteville on the University of Arkansas campus. There'll be some more information on that uh, and an AI symposium that we are having shown on the screen during our first break. So that is a quick look at some of the data and trends in the industry. We certainly have much to celebrate as you are among the best performing firms in the AEC industry. And again, it means a lot to us as Y Group that you would take your valuable time to contribute to this important and shared mission of celebrating and elevating the industry. We've looked at some of the data and trends more specific to this group. Now it's time to zoom out and get a macro view of the industry and economy by welcoming our first keynote speaker of our conference, Bill McConnell. The co-founder and CEO of the Vertex Companies is certainly an engineer, but also an entrepreneur. Bill is comfortable discussing risk profiles and forensics or algorithms and derivatives or oil prices and construction costs. For those of you who have heard Bill before, you're aware of that. Bill grew up in an entrepreneurial household, and he knew from the time he was in college, if not high school, that he wanted to start an engineering and construction company. His father's advice to him was simple. Success comes to those who work hard and work in the right direction. In other words, have a great strategy and then outwork your competition. He's tried his best to follow that advice his entire career. Sometimes great wisdom comes from its simplicity. That's fantastic. And now, Bill will continue to paint a picture of the AEC industry through his talk, focusing on the broader state of the industry and economy. Please help me welcome Bill McConnell to the Elevate stage. Well, my slides are not as uh, good looking as Chad's, that's for sure. And I'm going to throw a lot of data at you for the next 30 or so minutes. So before I start, I want to talk about the themes of this year. Where is the economy at? Chaos. Confusion. Is it going to be a soft landing? Is there going to be a recession? 
Half the people in this room probably feel one way, the other half feel the other. And you ask, and you watch CNBC in the morning, and they say soft landing. The new theme is pretty much soft landing. But is that good for us? Is that good for our industry to have higher rates for longer, low unemployment, so hiring is harder? <clears throat> so there's pros and cons to both. Or do we want to suffer with two quarters of GDP that may go negative, but then Powell has to slash rates, and then we're off to the races again for a next cycle? Really, when you look back in history, those cycles are healthy. So when you look at consumer price index, <clears throat> you look over here, this is a soft landing. These gray areas right here, those are recessions. We don't see a recession here. We've basically, they've taken inflation way down without a recession. And that never happens in terms of inflation always triggers recessions. But it's been such a resilient labor economy because there's less people in the workforce right now and that has helped. But that right there is something that we haven't seen in a long time without a recession. You usually have that, as you can see, those spikes, they come down through a recession or just after a recession, not before a recession. So that really leads people to believe that perhaps a soft landing has occurred. And that's why we see multiples expanding. We see the stock price, the equities market doing quite well. And you look here, that's a nice trend. 8.3 to 3.2 in the last year or so. But what happened yesterday and today? It's at 3.7. So it's ramped back up. So what does that mean? We're not at a terminal rate right now. They're saying that next week the FOMC is gonna keep rates at level, but perhaps in November, if this trend continues, they're gonna continue their hawkish trend and bump the rates. Now, is that gonna set us off? They're really trying to put the brakes on the economy here, but you have July of 3.2 and August of 3.7. So we're not out of the dark right now, and we are seeing continued inflationary pressures. Now, that inflation really is coming from gas prices that have gone from 70 to 90. So when you pull that out, it's lower, it's more in the 3-2 range, but it's still higher than what was anticipated. So we have this volatile energy prices and food prices, but again, it's just a weird time right now. It's, there's no real clarity in the industry. And you look at the Fed funds rates, there's been 11 hikes, 11 hikes over the last year and a half. And the Fed was slamming the brakes on. There was four hikes of 75 basis points, two hikes of 50 basis points. And really, it's done a good job. It, it, it's, it's tamped down growth. The construction industry, which is reported in nominal, not real numbers, is up 1% this year, as we'll see. So when you take out inflation, it's really negative, a little bit of negative growth. And that's mainly the private sector, because the public sector and the folks in this room that do private sec public sector work are going like gangbusters. But residential work has dried up a bit, although we're seeing it start to ramp up again, which is really interesting. It, it's almost like developers have a, become comfortable with the higher interest rates, and now money's starting slowly to trickle back. Those of us that do environmental work, that are doing due diligence work out in front of these developments are starting to get busier. So it'll be interesting, but you look at Right here, look at those rate hikes in 2022. That was unprecedented. It was the highest since Volcker was doing it in 1980. That was a long, long time ago. And we had this unprecedented situation that called for extreme, well, they waited. They said it was transitory. That was very wrong. So they waited a year too long. And then they really put the brakes on the economy, and it worked. And also, 
in terms of monetary policy, you have the FOMC with the federal funds rates. That's a lever number one. Lever number two is the money that they release into the economic system. Here, they're starting QT. They're not buying as many bonds, so not as much money is flowing into the system. And we're seeing that in the PE world. Raising funds is taking where it took a year before, it's taking two or three years. Getting deals done, getting buying a piece of property and getting bank lending is becoming more difficult. So everything is, is tightening up. And then when we see over here, a technical recession in the past was two quarters of negative growth. That was really something that was relied upon. So that has changed. Um, National Bureau of Economic Research has said they're taking a more holistic view. But if it was 20 years ago, that would have been a recession. And that makes sense because we've had the deflationary CPI come down. So again, was it really kind of a mini recession? You could argue that, but we had these unemployment numbers that didn't tick up. And in terms of unemployment, it's been hard for us. It's been the issue in the industry, as Chad mentioned, for many years now, and that is preventing growth. And without growth, we don't have opportunity. And without opportunity, people will leave. And so what it's done is it's really forced business leaders in the AEC industry to step back and say, what's your differentiator? What's your culture? What's your vision? What's your mission? People want to work for firms that have a great vision and a mission. How are we going to get there? What's your purpose? What are your, what are you, in terms of culture, can you rattle it off? And that's something that more now than ever, we have that. We have better purpose. And that's all driven by this low, low unemployment that seems to be extraordinarily sticky, especially in professional services. So the variable that the economy has is darn oil prices. Look at the volatility in that over the last 15 years. It just jumps back and forth and it causes unpredictability. It causes instability in the CPI and PPI world. But that probably will continue for years to come just because it's, it's out of the control of the federal government in terms of pricing. And in terms of yield curve, this was always a great predictor of recessions for the last, since 1950. Prior to every recession, the yield curve inverted where the two-year bond all of a sudden traded more than a 10-year bond. It's really a flight to safety. So when you have these choppy markets, people pull their money out of the equities market, put it in 10-year bonds. There's so much inflow, the federal government lowers the rates because they, they don't need to pay this higher return and then the two-year bond flips above it. And we have a situation now where it's been inverted for a long time. And you look back at the last five recessions, 90, 2000, the Great Recession, and even the pandemic recession, the COVID-19 recession, there was a mild inversion. But when you look at, really, this is a, a study that I did a couple months ago I was like, gosh, it feels like the, the curve has been inverted for so, so long. And why has it uninverted? Is that strange? Well, when you look back, the average inversion is almost 16 months rounded up. And assuming that a typical duration, we should be uninverted by this month. And we should be in a recession next month. So typically, you have 16 months of inversion and then 17 months, so it's just a month or so after that, you have the recession. And if we're looking at kind of a long duration, we'll uninvert early next year and then we'll be in a recession by mid next year. But again, economists are saying, no, we're through the woods. We're in a mid 90s soft landing, which happened um, from 94 to 2000, they prevented a recession. But like I mentioned, you had high interest rates that entire time. 
And is it good or is it better just to have a couple quarters of negative GDP growth? For us, a lot of us have backlog. It may not be a problem. Either way, I like the fast growth. I'd like lower interest rates and I'd like higher unemployment, which would ease our hiring. Um, but who knows if that's going to happen. And you look here at the right there, you see the P.E. ratio of the S&P 500 firms has been going up of late. And why is that? Well, the market's banking on this soft landing. So they're bullish. The market's bullish for years to come. Yes, a lot of the growth has been on seven companies. And it's funny, you look at these seven firms like Microsoft and Alphabet, etc., and they're the ones that have been doing the, the hiring, or they're not hiring, there's freezing, they're cutting labor forces, yet their stock prices are going up. And as Winston Churchill once, says, uh, once said, don't ever let a crisis go to waste. And that's basically what they're doing. They're levering this chaos in the market, and they're improving their margin, and they're rethinking their businesses. So you look here, the P.E. ratio is 25. That's high. That's pretty high. So, and what happens when there's a recession, earnings come down, so the ratio all of a sudden goes up, and then it settles back after the recession when you do have this situation where earnings are finally coming back. But again, where are we at? I don't know. Um, the good news is um, the market at least has some confidence right now. And in terms of fixed rate mortgages, we're at a 20-year high. That's doing some major damage to the residential market. We'll see the numbers here in a few minutes. Um, it's pulled back a lot. And no one's selling because they don't want to get out of their 1.5% mortgage or 2% mortgage. So we have inventories at all-time lows, which is propping up prices still. So we haven't seen a pullback in prices due to that low inventory. But the home prices, what I like to kind of look at is the slope of this line. And you pull out the, the real estate bubble in the early 2000s in the bubble a couple years ago, that slope pretty much remains the same. Everything comes back to the mean. So that mean reversion, will the continue to be pullback in resi construction? The answer is probably yes, um, particularly if we have this situation with uh, construction that is slowing. And then we look here, and we have the housing inventory. Again, they've been tracking this data for 25 years. It's extraordinarily low. Um, and again, people don't want to get out of their good mortgage and jump into a 7% mortgage. So in terms of GDP, this is a, a busy graph, but you look at personal consumption. These are the four components of GDP. So when you look at the economy, it's personal spending. That's pretty much it. You do have government spending, which is going to go up a bit, the green, but it's usually steady. Uh, private business expenditures in red has gone up, and then the strong dollar has caused uh, a pullback uh, in exports. So that's offsetting over here. You can see, but 60 to 70% of the industry is personal spending, offset by, because we're a net importer. But you'll see here, really, there's, there's only one stat to look at. It's <clears throat> personal spending. And personal spending has been hot. It hasn't pulled back all that much. And when you look at corporate profits, Corporate profits have come back. They've come back about 10% over the last 12 months. So we have seen a pullback, but the, the, the consumer is still spending. You can see that dipped after the pandemic. <clears throat> and then you had a, a big spike after the pandemic, and now it's pulled back. It's slow, but it's still above that black line, so it's still positive. So life is good in terms of GDP. When we see that pulled back and go negative, again, that's when you see the recession. So that's something to look at. 
but the consumer debt as a percent of disposable income is not in bad shape right now. Everyone's talking about credit cards and, and credit card debt, which is going up, but as a percentage of income, it's not that crazy high. So it's, this is really the important chart is as a percent of disposable income, people are just making more money so they can afford more. But when you do look at credit card debt, consumer debt, it is going up, but their wages are going up. So when you do see wages pull back, that's when the problem occurs, and that's when you're gonna see uh, basically GDP pull back, and that's when there'll be a recession. But will that happen in 2024? I don't know. Again, it all, a lot depends. I think this terminal rate, everyone was thinking the FOMC, Jay Powell was gonna hold at five, five and a half. Now you have that big, that hot print yesterday and the PPI print today, which was hot. Um, if they keep going up, then it's inevitable. The, the, the industry will, uh, the economy will tank as it will have to in order to get inflation under control. And again, this was a slide from last year, the last year to drop. Everyone was waiting for this unemployment rate. We have these, you know, what the, the traditional situation, you have unemployment, trough, and then you have the recession, then it peaks, troughs, peaks after the recession. Here, you know, we had the pandemic cause unprecedented, but we've been troughed for a while. So if you look at just this graphic, you would think that it would start to come up. And it has come up a little bit. It's at 3.7 now, I believe. But still, historically speaking, it's extraordinarily low. So, but this graphic does tell you the one observation I would make is that when it comes up, it comes up quickly. It's, you know, it, it hits a wall and then goes up very, very quickly. It all happens at once. But uh, will that happen or will there be a situation? It's funny, you look at the comparisons to the, the 90s. You still had unemployment, as you can see, trending downward through the decade. So even though that was a soft landing, you still had, um, you know, a nice decreasing slope for that work. But here, we're already bottomed out. We can't get any lower at this point. So there's really only one way to go, but we'll see if it goes up to four or does it go up to six or seven, in which case that will cause the recession. And you look at, I mentioned uh, these firms that are doing the layoffs. Well, a lot of these firms, Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, they're the ones that are valued the most. So they are uh, really taking an opportunity here to, to tweak their business models and Maybe they uh, zero-sum budgeting. I was talking the other day with one of my colleagues. I, they're, they're using that strategy where they're saying, what's adding value, what's not? Let's start at zero and figure out what's working and what's not, and they're making tough decisions. Um, labor force participation, this is, they typically, economists are saying, this is the reason for the low unemployment, the continued low unemployment, because we're at a, situation where we have the lowest labor force participation since the 70s and that came down markedly in 2020 it has pulled back as you can see on the right side of that graph but still we're seven or eight percentage points below the highs in 2000 in the late 90s and job openings there's still a ton of job openings out there so um from that perspective a labor perspective, it looks great. A lot of job openings, more openings than there are unemployed people. Quits, which has been a major issue in our industry. Um, again, in order to, which I think has helped our industry in general, because we have had to figure out um, really purpose-driven work has been the key here. And quits are still high. They're coming down, but they're still high. So the industry has wood to chop here and in keeping great talent, attracting and keeping great talent. That's the differentiation. That's how you grow. It's not easy to grow when it's a 3.5% percent 
overall unemployment in professional services, it's a lot lower than that. So this is the, the struggle, and it will continue based on these stats. So when we look at the construction industry, which really triggers most of our work, you look at these typical cycles, economic cycles, recession, early expansion, mid-expansion, late expansion. And in late expansion, you have inflation, you have low unemployment, people with too much work, you've got quality issues, you've got scheduling issues, you've got major construction problems, and it's been a quick cycle. I mean, it, was, it seems like yesterday the pandemic was here, and now we're a couple years later, and, and we've already been through that deflationary cycle, and now we're, we're well, we have the huge inflation, it's been deflationary, and are we in late expansion or quasi-recession? Are we gonna skip kind of those, and is it just gonna plow through? Um, we've had escalation, we've had project issues, contractors had too much work, no resources, schedule issues, but now it's, it's easing a little bit based on the, the, the pullback in the construction industry. There's really no growth there for the last 12 months. So the big question mark is next year. Um, it's not gonna happen this year. In terms of a recession, it doesn't appear. Um, but again, if it is a soft landing, it's more the same. It, we're in slow growth mode, mode for the industry. If, if we don't have a recession which pulls back, we're gonna be in slow growth mode higher for longer interest rates uh, probably for some time now if we don't see spending, consumer spending come down. And um, there's pros and cons to that. There's, there's pros, we're not gonna have that big, uh, you know, problematic backlog issue, but it will be slower growth. So in terms of the industry, construction industry, we're almost at a $2 trillion industry. This is a big industry. Half of it is residential, and will it hit two trillion next year? I thought it was gonna maybe eclipse two trillion this year, but it's not gonna happen. Um, so you look at total construction spending, it's, it's been pretty steady since 2011. We've had some minor blips here and there, but that is a, a pretty steep line, steeper than prior to 06. So it's been a good run for construction for over 10 years. And then you look at um, total construction spending changes, you see at the end there, it's come down. So the growth has come way back. And that's because of the inflation, and that's because of mortgage rates at 7%. Those of you that do work for developers, a lot of them just put their pencils down and really stopped. Now they're picking them back up, which is nice to see. Um, Private construction, or resi construction, you can see there, a huge pullback. We almost hit a trillion dollars in just residential construction, and now it's pulled back and uh, by over $100 billion. So we're waiting for that. It rebounded a little bit, but until interest rates pull back significantly, a couple points, it's gonna be tough for, for resi to really rebound. Um, Non-resi, however, my gosh, has just been booming. And most of this is transportation engineering, transportation construction, public construction, but it's also manufacturing doubled in size in one year. Manufacturing construction. It is back, and it is big industry, and it's really supported the industry this year. So we have a couple things that are tailwinds on non-resi construction um, in public construction, one of the best years ever. Just having a great year, up 13.6%, I believe, and that's gonna continue. The funding is there. It needed additional spending. We're almost at 400 billion. It's been lagging behind private construction for so many years. Now the funding's finally in place. The design's going on right now, so it's a good time to be a transportation engineer. And then, so, this is overall put in place construction as of June annualized. So it's nearly a $2 trillion business, you can see there. And it's up 
So inflation's about three and a half percent, so it's pretty flat. So really there's no real growth in construction, which is what we anticipated last year. We thought it was gonna be flat because of the inflationary pressures. And then you look at residential on the bottom, negative 10%. That's a huge swing for resi. That's the largest sector. Again, it was at almost a trillion dollars with 965. It's lost $100 billion in 12 months. So it's really had some rough times. But you look at things like manufacturing on the bottom, $195 billion. It was at 108 last year, 12 months ago. So this is going to continue to, to go. And then we'll look at a few others. You look at highway and street, up 20% and 24% going like gangbusters, public works. So that's really, really great to see. It was really some time when it was a flat curve um, for the overall public construction sector. And then you look at private, 1%. So it's been a terrible year for residential. You, you look at that, multifamily's done okay. But again, this is, this is backlog that's being burned off. So it's gonna continue to get worse over the next 12 months. Um, but you look at, look at that 80% down there. Um, just a great year for manufacturing. Um, and then let's look at, yeah, that manufacturing highlighted there. Let's look at public construction. It's up nearly 14%. Banner year, great for all of us that work in public, that have public works projects and design projects. This is gonna continue, by the way, for the next 12 months, if not more. We're all gonna be really busy in public, and public sector work. Um, and now that we're gonna, the numbers are gonna be really bad on Resi, but we're gonna start to see it come back. We're starting to see a lot of things back in action on the residential front. And so, um, when you look at starts, this is, this is kind of telling. Residential construction starts as of May are down 25%. So we're gonna see this continue. That resi, that resi number is gonna get worse. And then you'll look at non-building is up 25%. So the public works and the manufacturing is gonna continue. So this trend will be very similar. The question is whether non-resi can outweigh or at least match the, the dip in, in resi. So we'll see, it might be uh, flat if not down a few percentage points. Um, so here's the inflation. You look at the building cost index. The industry's up three and a half percent nominal. You take out that 3.4 and it's pretty much a flat year. Um, so this is the graphic of, for last year. This was something that really, it's amazing we got through. The industry was able to handle that <clears throat> without really all that much contractor failure. There was a few Kateras of the world that um, were overlevered that went out, but they didn't have, contractors didn't have that in their bids. And all of a sudden they're facing a 30% increase in their material costs. So that is a force majeure. That is something that we've never seen before. And that's still playing out. We're still seeing a lot of problems in the construction, on construction projects in terms of schedule quality, buyout, cash. And that's gonna probably, usually what happens when you see this surge, it plays out for about three years to, to work through the system. So we are gonna see construction failure ramp up and it's gonna continue through 2024. Um, but it's come down, but notice that it's not going negative. So prices are still high. So it's a problem. Construction employment, finally up to nearly 8 million. Um, wage inflation's pulling back a little. The, the growth has slowed a bit. We've got Unemployment rate for construction is basically zero. If you want a job, you can get it. Construction establishments, 
You note that it's over 900,000. That's good to see. It was, took a big dip there. The industry lost 18% of all companies after the Great Recession. That's back. Um, building permits, again, are, are starting to trend upwards. Construction starts, as I mentioned, are a little bit lower, though. Um, and this is interesting. That red there, that's where bids don't incorporate inflation. And that's from AGC. So that's what, this, that is going to manifest in construction failure. And, and we see it time and time again over the decades. So you have situations where your contractors haven't contemplated the inflationary pressures and it comes to, to bite them through the course of construction and it caused problems. So if you're doing contract administration, it's something to take a look at. And now let's talk about the AEC industry. So AEC em uh, employment is about 1.7 million. We're all fighting for 1.7 million people. Half, about half of those people work for 800 firms, the bigs. M most of them work for the top, let's say, 50 firms. So the industry, we always talk about the fragmentation of our industry, but is it really fragmented anymore? You've got half of the workers working for these mega companies that have 30, 40,000 employees, and the big are getting bigger. Um, so we have, it's broken up into basically shops of under 20 people and massive firms is, is really the market dynamics. And when you look at every five years, the Census Bureau takes a look at our industry, and they provide wonderful data. NAICS 5413 is our industry, and they go through enterprise size, employment, payroll, receipts. As you can see, as of 2017, the industry as a whole, those 1.5 million people at the time were generating $300 billion in revenue. It's up from that, of course. It, you know, the FRED data notes that it's 1.7 million workers now, so it's nice that we've been able to attract 200,000 workers, which is actually surprising to me. But the firm count, 94,000 firms, 775 are over 500 people, and they employ well over 40% of the employment base, but 84,000 of less than 20 people. So it is, so half of the market's really fragmented. And then you look, they, they have watered down stats every other year, and this is the most recent detailed stats that they have. As of 2020, it was 1.6 million workers. And the big, that 775 has gone to 819. So we have PE money in our industry right now, and it's rolling up the industry. The big firms are getting bigger and you're, you're seeing that in the numbers. It'll be interesting when the detailed data comes out for 2022, which it usually takes a year or two for them to generate and post and publish this data online. And as Chad mentioned, everyone's working really hard. Everyone's got a lot of work. They're working more hours. And I'm wondering if that's a function of hybrid where you don't have separation between an office in a home life where you're just working all the time and maybe those lines are now blurred. And in terms of working three and a half days in the office, I'm like, I wish my people were working three and a half days in the office. But um, we, uh, we are trying to pull workers back and our colleagues are coming back slowly. And I think it is extraordinarily important for our culture. Um, and demonstrate in the learning curve too, in mentoring, etc. And the average salary now is about ninety thousand um, dollars, and they don't have that plot over time. I'm trying to find it, but certainly wage inflation is up. And unemployment rate—they don't have it for NAICS fifty-four thirteen but they do have it for 54, which is professional services and technical services. It's basically 2%, 2, 3%. There's, there's no one who's out of work who wants a job. And so it's, the, again, the fight for employment for the great employees. You gotta hit the colleges. You gotta, you gotta figure out 
what your differentiate, differentiators are and really push them. And I mentioned earlier that the developers drop their pencils, not doing any development. Now they are considering it. And you look at the AIA inquiries, that yellow line at the end starting to come up. Design contracts are starting to come up. So we are starting to see a little bit of a rebound there, which is nice to see. I think developers are just pricing out their product considering the higher interest rates. Finally, it's kind of worked itself into pro formas. And then in terms of the sector, we have Resi, which is still down, that's in yellow. You have institutional work, which is booming, and commercial, that's actually trending down some. So that big boom in lodging we saw last year, it probably won't see that again. And then I can't, you know, you can't have a presentation without seeing or talking about AI. But when you look at what will it mean to the AE industry, I think what we could all agree upon is that it will be deflationary. People will be able to do things quicker. And so how will that impact pricing and employment? Perhaps 1.7 million is enough to handle growth moving forward if we have these accelerators and these generative programs. So uh, again, I don't know, but it'll be interesting. Staying ahead, I, I, when I graduated uh, from a college in New York, it, um, we had this speaker, his name was Kai-Fu Lee. He's known as the father of AI. And it was about 10 years ago. And he got up and he was talking about this and he turned around to the professors. He's like, none of you will be here. You're all gone, this and that. And everything he said has really come true. And it's like frightening. I was like scared when he was talking. And, but he said, he, he concluded the speech, get in front of the curve. You stay ahead of that curve, you're gonna have more opportunity than you've ever seen before. You fall behind it, and that's a problem. And that was, I think, sage advice. So I think just keeping up with it and figuring out how to lever it and how to uh, you know, take opportunities from it. I, you know, in terms of that employment screening, I hadn't thought of that. That's an amazing concept. In the moment, Dodge Momentum Index, this is non-residential. And this is, I think, my last slide. But we are seeing a, a so non-resi is doing good. It's um, public construction is doing great. Um, and we're all going to be busy. It's going to be a little bit flat. Private construction is, is swinging back. We'll see some, some of those projects that have been you know, on hold are being released now. So the state of the industry is good in terms of whether it's a hard landing or a soft landing. Only time will tell. The market's baking in a soft landing. Um, so that means labor pressures will persist. And that's it. So thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Zweig Letter Podcast. We hope that you can be part of elevating the industry and that you can apply our advice and information to your daily professional life. For a free digital subscription to the Zweig Letter, please visit thezweigletter.com slash subscribe to gain more wisdom and inspiration in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today.